0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Events with Benefits. Our podcast is designed to help nonprofit organizations raise more money and achieve greater success at your fundraising auction events. Now, if you are a fan of this podcast, we invite you to submit a review if you take a moment to go on to iTunes. And if you're going to rate us, we ask for a five-star rating. Might as well be bold and ask, right? If you're going to go to the trouble... Uh, finding us on iTunes, finding the rating thing, might as well click five. It's just <laughs> as easy as clicking a one. Uh, anyway, when you do that, when we get the five-star rating, that really helps people find uh, out about us and uh, find our podcast and uh, learn more about event fundraising, which is the whole purpose of this podcast. Now, today's episode, as always, uh, is brought to you by uh, yours truly. My name is Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer and the author of a best-selling book called Easy Money, How to Generate Record Profits. It's your next fundraising auction event you can get it on Amazon uh, just by searching Danny Hooper that's H-O-O-P-E-R or you can go to dannyhooper.com that's my little plug Our other co-hosts on the show, uh, we have Ian Loth here, the Director or Vice President of Fundraising with Windspire. And boy, Ian, we could not be doing this without you and also the great support of Donation Match. We'll talk to Renee next, but tell us a bit about uh, Windspire.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, we we absolutely love having you down here, Danny, and talking to these incredible uh, fundraising people from around the industry. Um, And everyone... Pretty much everyone that we've been talking to is involved in events and uh, in part with auctions. Today's guest, uh, Tracy Lortz, is from Greater Giving and she has a lot of experience uh, working with events as the community uh, brand manager um, uh, for Greater Giving and uh as far as i'm concerned I, I do all the marketing here for windspire uh part of the reason we do this this podcast and um what we're in charge of is is, is getting those unique experiences for your live silent auction uh, and and fundraising raffles so um everything we do is with no upfront costs you don't have to pay anything to use any, use our experiences in your event you keep absolutely everything above uh that, and you can sell as many times as you want and then we have a full service travel agency and concierge service that takes care of your winning bidders and whisks them away on their adventure so uh we Love to hear from you. Uh, hear about your event. Go to winspireme.com.
0: I don't know how you guys find the incredible packages that you put together. They are truly one of a kind experiences, and that's uh, the great value they bring to events. Uh, Renee Zhao from Donation Match.
2: Hi, thanks for joining us. So, uh, we at Donation Match are happy to help companies manage how they donate in kind donations to charitable events. And because of that, we have become and are growing as a one stop shop for nonprofits to be able to reach those very generous companies. It's as easy as filling out a single common application and seeing who you qualify for. And I would like to say that we welcome all your ideas here for Events with Benefits on other topics, on guests that you'd like to see us interview. So if you have any feedback like that, please send us an email at hosts at er, er, at eventswithbenefits.com. That's H-O-S-T-S
1: at eventswithbenefits.com.
0: I thought you were going to say send us donations. That's, we've never, we've never asked for that, but we can sure use that, Good, not we? All right, let's get on to it with our guest, uh, Tracy Lortz with a Greater Giving, a great, great company, I'll tell you that, they're doing amazing work here in the U.S. at this time, and I, I really like Tracy when I first met her, I like her even more now that I just learned that she brews beer up in Portland, Oregon, right in her kitchen with her husband. Well, Tracy, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you? Well, good.
0: How are things up in Portland, Oregon today?
2: Um, They're kind of getting overcast and a little bit rainy, so I think that we're we're getting ready for fall. It's coming.
0: Yeah, well, uh, that sounds like life on the West Coast. Hey, I wanted to talk to you. I was talking to Ian before we started uh, the interview here, and he tells me you're a bit of a brewmeister.
2: I am. I am. I dabble in it. Uh, my husband and I homebrew, and we just uh, it's one <laughs> of our fun hobbies that we get to enjoy, and all of our friends and family enjoy it as well.
0: And how do your kids enjoy it?
2: <laughs> um, well, I just have I just have one, and he's only two, so he can't have any of it yet.
0: <laughs> well, of course, we're talking Portland one of the one of the major centers in the, on the continent for uh, for breweries and, and good craft beer. So, uh, actually, you, your husband and you you just brewed up a batch. You were telling us just before we got started here, you just brewed up a batch of beer for a fundraising event.
2: Um, Well, it was for um, Hood to Coast, which is an annual relay race that's run from Mount Hood all the way out to Seaside on the Oregon coast, and it's 200 miles. Um, We do have a couple of our team members. They do fundraise for um, American Cancer Society during the run. So um, we've brewed beer um for our team just as a celebration so um it's a great opportunity for us to do a little bit of fundraising and giving back but then also run a race and have some fun with friends
0: oh very cool well now that we have i have the attention the undivided attention of all the beer drinkers out there we're going to uh, get started here uh, tracy is the senior marketing events manager with a wonderful company called greater giving and maybe you can just tell us a bit about uh, the company and what you folks do
2: Yeah, Greater Giving started back in 2002 as the company AuctionPay. So we've been in business for 16 years now. Um, We transitioned back in about 2009 to being Greater Giving. Um, We offer a suite of software services for managing um, nonprofit um, fundraising events all over the country. We have over 10,000 clients, have helped be a part of over 50,000 events and have ultimately processed over $5.5 billion in credit card transactions for all of our fantastic clients.
0: Wow, that's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. even—I You've got such a, a deep wall of knowledge here when it comes to organizing, fundraising, uh, auction events. Maybe let's start uh, with one of the big questions that our listeners have out there, and that is the subject of procurement when you're looking at uh, hosting a fundraising event and you're gonna have the silent auction, perhaps a super or platinum silent auction and your live auction, uh, where do you get started with procurement?
2: Yeah, procurement. You know, you sit down and you start thinking about it, and man, it starts to become really overwhelming really quickly, right? Um, that's definitely the way that I thought about it when I when I used to work on um, doing benefit events for a local Portland nonprofit. And so for me, I think that the best and easiest way to get started in the process is to gather a group of people and have a procurement party. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for you to connect with members of your auction committee some of your board, some of your staff, everyone comes together, have some fun, maybe have a couple drinks and start to think about what types of items you want to target um, to pull together into packages for your next fundraiser.
0: All right. And once you've come up with that wish list, where do you take it from there?
2: Right, exactly. That's a great question. And it's something that I know that a lot of people struggle with. Okay, we've got all of these great ideas, but then what happens next? Um, And what we definitely recommend, and we see a lot of success with people having, is you talk about the rule of, like, three degrees of separation, okay? You come up with your great ideas, but then let's sit down and take a look at, oh, into my phone, into my old-school Rolodex, if you still have one of those, and let's flip through and see who may have a connection to someone who may have um, something that we're specifically looking to target um, as an item, either for our live or silent auction. I think that's a great way to get started, start to think about who may have what and then you wanna make sure that everyone's leaving that procurement part come up with these great ideas. Make sure that everyone has a clear action plan of what their next steps
1: are. I love it, and Tracy. This is Ian from Winspire here, um, and I'm I'm all on board with this this idea. Of the procurement party. I've been to a couple myself, um, and I I know that it can be a lot of fun if 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 there's a good energy there, and it's important to get the the items up on the wall, right? So everyone can see it, right? Get those big sticky uh, you know posters that you can get from you know Office Depot, and and write everything up, write every single idea down, right? And then as you like you say, you get out your Rolodexes and uh, you know start writing people's names up there, people that um, you know, can possibly be the, the, the folks to get in touch with to get these you know, local experiences, local dinners, local restaurants, who knows who. Uh, and I love your three degrees of separation. It's like that Kevin Bacon rule, right? Uh, was it, six yep, degrees exactly. from anyone on the rule? Yeah, so uh, totally on board with the, the procurement party. Is there any, well, what are some other strategies that you uh, like to employ when it comes to procurement?
2: Um, you know, I just think that um, – uh, definitely having a good um, post-event survey. This kind of goes backwards, but you have to work backwards and work forwards at the same time sometimes when you're planning a fundraising event. And so um, we always encourage people to do a post-event survey, and it's a great opportunity for you to learn maybe you know what your donors might be interested in buying next year at the auction. You may even, if you put a question in there, would you do you have something you'd be willing to donate? Um, why not start a year in advance and start to build the items that you have um, in a way that makes sense, and it's an easy um, time for you to connect with your donors um, and keep yourself and your organization on the front of their minds going forward.
0: Well, I love that. The idea of a post-event survey, I see very, very few organizations actually doing that, but what are some of the platforms or easy-to-use tools that might be available? Uh, I know you've, you've got it within your platform, Greater Giving, I'm sure, to conduct surveys, but what are some of the other tools people can look at?
2: Um, We see lots of people using SurveyMonkey. I know that it is free for um, certain organizations to use SurveyMonkey. You can use Google Forms. There's a lot of different platforms that you can use. And, um, you know, you just want to be mindful of your donor's time. You don't want the survey to be too long. And as much as possible, you want to be sure that you're asking, you know, multiple choice questions rather than fill in the blank because those multiple choice questions are going to be easier and faster for your donors to answer.
0: Great advice. And how many questions would you limit your survey to ideally?
2: I mean, it just depends on... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want to respect their time. So I would say, you know, anywhere between 10 to 15 questions, I would feel like is not going to be too overwhelming to a donor. You don't, you know, don't want them to click the link, open up the page and then get immediately shut off because Mm. there's too many questions. So Mm -hmm. I definitely think, you know, somewhere in that like 10 to 15 question range would be great. And uh, make sure that you're you're strategic in what you are asking, um, that they're not super broad questions, that you're maybe focusing on certain improving certain aspects of your event for next year.
0: All right. So uh, this is a great way to gather information then on the interests of your guests and obviously start uh, your procurement procurement process uh, on the right footing. Um, Where do you go to to actually get the items? Like uh, when you're going out to the community, who's actually doing the asking? Where are you going to get the items and who's doing that asking?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it just really depends on your organization. Lots of people have, you know, a whole procurement team. So they've got a group of volunteers that are making these asks for your organization, or it could be someone on your development staff, your event coordinator. Um, It just really depends on the organization. There's no there's no wrong person to make those asks, I think. And um, I think the biggest thing is making sure that those people that are going out and making asks, that they're targeting specifically, that they're using really clear, concise language of what they're asking for, um, and that they are also armed with great information about your organization and the work that you do so they don't feel like they're just getting asked for something they feel like they're supporting a really great cause
0: all right let's talk about silent auctions the silent auction the super silent or platinum auction how many items uh, how how many items do you need or should you ideally have in your silent auction based on the size of, of your audience maybe you can give us an example
2: well, I think kind of um, across the board, just like a general rule of thumb is if you take the number of guests that you have, so say you have 500 guests coming to your event, normally those guests are going to come in couples, so then you divide that number in half and you have the number of actual bidding units in the room, so 250 bidding units. We usually say half of the amount of bidding units, of course, a 500-person auction with 250 bidding units. Um, that's still a lot of silent auction items, um, probably more than we would recommend, but Um, It just depends on your guests. It depends on where their interests lie during that cocktail hour time frame, Um, and I know that a lot of people struggle with the amount of time that it takes to procure, package, sort, store, all of the items that are included in a silent auction frequently, so um, just do what makes sense for your organization and make sure that you're getting a solid return on your investment or ROI for those items.
0: And I guess you probably have, you know, ideally an organization will have worked up a budget and they have a revenue goal. So based on your revenue goal, you can kind of calculate uh, the overall value that you want to get, say, from your silent auction. Do you have a recommendation as to what the minimum value of a silent auction item should be given all the time it takes to go out, solicit the item, to present the item, package up? it up later and have it ready for a delivery to the successful guest and dealing with all the paperwork and the rest of it. You know, I guess where I'm going here is as a fundraising auctioneer, I see an awful lot of silent auctions where they're offering logoed ball caps from the local muffler shop and and logo imprinted coffee mugs and things that really don't generate a lot of real value. Are you better, and I think this is a question answers itself, you're probably better to invest your time in getting items that maybe, say, have a minimum value of $100. What do you think of that?
2: Yeah, I know. I totally agree. You know, you don't want it to seem like it's a garage sale. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't want to just put everything out on these tables and just expect people to want to buy them just because they're they're there to support your cause. You want to have items that are of interest and of high value to your guests. Of course, what's of high value to your guests is different depending on your organization. So I would say that you know you want the items to um, be displayed very nicely. um, That they have great placards with all of the needed information that a a guest would need to know about the item. In bullet in bullet form.
0: In bullet form. Yes, exactly.
2: Yep, yep. So it's quick and easy for them to take a look at it, decide whether or not they would like to make a bid. Um, and one of our biggest tips in terms of silent auctions and really making sure that you're getting a good ROI from your silent auction is to include a, a, a buy now price. So usually we say that that, that price point is uh, 200% of the fair market value. So, if the item is worth $100, then you could buy now for $200 total, and then you just walk away with that item. And um, if something is of a high um, desire, someone is really desiring that item, they can just buy now and they're done with that that particular bidding on that particular item.
0: Now, why would somebody want to pay 200% of the value of an item? Maybe you can give some examples.
2: I mean, I think that one of the biggest things this comes down to is the perceived value of an item. Of course, when you're looking at the fair market value on a paper bid sheet at a silent auction, you're like, okay, well, this item is worth 100 bucks. Maybe I'm just here to get a good deal. So I want to only spend the minimum amount of money possible on that particular item. But maybe something has a really high perceived value to a particular donor. Um, so I see this a lot with, um, you know, with organizations, they have a classroom's piece of artwork, and a parent really wants that. Okay, the fair market value of the piece of artwork is not particularly high, but the perceived value, so the way that the donors and guests in the room feel about the item, is much higher than what it's actually worth.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I see it work well, too, where people, if you're using the... I'll call it now, old-fashioned uh, paper bidding on your silent auction because more and more we're seeing organizations go to electronic bidding uh, using the tablets, but where you're still using the paper. And uh, I'll see guests go to that buy it now price and pay that premium because they don't want to be getting up and down all night long from the table. Once they're seated, they want to enjoy their meal, want to enjoy the entertainment, the live auction, and be there to participate in the fun to need and not have to be jumping up and down to monitor their bids. So that's one case where I've yeah, seen, seen the Biden now work and also some people can't stay until the end of the night but uh, suppose yeah, it's exactly. a definitely yeah maybe a romantic weekend getaway and somebody has an anniversary coming up and uh, uh, somebody wants to buy that for a, for a particular celebration I, I see it work there as well so that's a great tip to buy it now um I want to shift the conversation a little bit to underwriting and this is a concept that I think more organizations really need to wrap their heads around because it can add a lot of extra value to your event. Can you share with us, uh, first of all, how do you define underwriting? And and maybe you can share your thoughts on where it can work.
2: So underwriting as like a concept overall is just getting certain um, pieces of your event um, sponsored by a donor or a local business that may not have something that's of high value or of high interest to your guests on event night, especially in terms of an auction package. Um, Underwriters work really great um, in assisting your organization with the cost of a travel consignment package. So I you know Ian knows tons about this uh right. working at WindSpire and uh he could probably talk about it till he's blue in the face. But <laughs> we see a lot of success with organizations. Uh they just, you know, seek out a, a donor or a business that um that will help them with the baseline cost of a particular item or a, a package to put into their live auction to really add some really big excitement um to a package that they might not be able to get otherwise. Did I do a good job, Ian? Yeah,
1: no, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's something where it's it's perfect for um, you know. Donors out there, business out there that might not have something sexy to, to donate to the auction, right? Like a doctor's office or a lawyer's office or a dentist's office. Um, and it's just it's, it's great for recognizing them. Uh, but it's just like anything else, right? You can get someone to underwrite the food or the band or, or what have you. Um, the, what sets it apart is just the recognition that can happen at the live auction. And Danny can tell you, right? I mean, uh, in a live auction, when you have everyone's attention, it's the best time to recognize someone uh, because they are being recognized in front of their peers in a very public forum.
0: Yeah, we talk about, you know, we talk about the, the, for lack of a better term, the sex appeal of an underwriter, you know, sponsoring the particular cost, say, of a travel package, as opposed to just going to that same individual, that same donor, and saying, look, would you make a donation of $2,500? Come in as a bronze sponsor. That money just goes into the general kitty lots of times. And I, I like to use the example of a car dealership. Uh, they're a lot more excited to put that $2,500 towards the purchase of, say, a trip to Italy or something really exciting. And and the leverage on their donation is incredible, because even though they're, say, donating $2,500 in cash that you turn around, you get a, say, a Winspire or another company's consignment package for an exciting trip somewhere that maybe sells for $10,000, the perception with the audience is that that car dealer or that donor made a donation of $10,000, mm-hmm. not even realizing it was only twenty five. dollars so the leverage is a huge factor.
1: I love it. Yeah, that's, that's that's so true. Um, so, with your, I mean, experience, you know, working with events, there, Tracy, um, you know, what would you say are kind of the the kind of the biggest missteps that you you often see? Um, perhaps even with the with bidding technology like Greater Giving, um, are there kind of just common pitfalls that happen? Uh, you know, with nonprofits planning their events out there.
2: Yeah, I think that one of the. the- pieces of the overall picture that a lot of times just gets pushed to the back burner or people just don't prioritize it enough is the marketing of their event overall and then also the marketing of their auction items. I work in marketing so I'm going to talk about marketing. Uh-huh. Um, and you really want your guests to know when they come in on event night what items, especially when it comes to your live auction packages, they will be bidding on. Um, And one of the great things about using technology like Greater Giving is you can build an online catalog on your event website where guests can go and in advance of your event, take a look at all of the packages that you have up for bid for your live auction so that they can discuss with friends and family how much they're willing to spend on certain items, what they're most interested in, and come into the evening ready to start to raise their paddles for live auction items. So I think that that the marketing of live auction especially is crucial and a lot of times it just it it falls off because there's there ch- everyone's chasing too many other priorities all at the same time.
0: Mhm. One uh, uh point of note here is that lots of times lots of is particularly in the live auction where you're selling the higher end packages and we talk about as an example the travel packages sometimes these are ideal for multiple people to share and participate in so some of these properties will handle the two three four couples and it's good to give your guests time in advance to make those plans because come event night if this is the first time you're hearing about this villa in Italy for example you you just haven't got time to scramble and, and, and get your friends together to figure out who can share the the cost of this with you.
1: Okay.
0: That was exactly. a, that was a statement. That just wasn't even a question.
1: <laughs> Ian, go ahead and ask a question. while well, we've got Tracy here. No, that's great. Uh, what? Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, placement and sequencing. Do you have uh, suggestions okay. for uh, you know how many packages to have in the live auction and and what what is the proper sequence of those those auction items?
2: Yeah, so I know that this is always a burning question on a lot of organizations' mind. Well, how many items should I put in my live auction? And um, this seems like a scapegoat answer a little bit, but it just really depends on you, your organization, your guests, and the, the items that you're able to procure um, and to put into packages. But generally speaking, um, as a rule of thumb, we see and recommend somewhere between eight to 12 live auction packages, um, it's going to take a great auctioneer, like Danny, um, about two to three minutes per package to introduce them and sell them. And you really would like to, to fit all of those packages into about an hour of time. Um, and for us, we also recommend building them out and laying them out and selling them in an order that's going to keep your guests engaged, excited, and Focused on what's happening on the stage rather than talking with the other guests at their table or even leaving which is what you definitely don't want and um, so we usually recommend you kind of build them into an arc or a bell curve so you start with an item that's generally you know pretty appealing to everyone maybe it doesn't have a lot of um, solid fair market value but it has a great perceived value um, something really unique is in that package that a majority of your guests would want to bid on um, and then you build up to those really big um, um, exciting, hue you know, travel packages and things in the middle, and then you kind of lean back out on the other side, back into items that have a higher perceived value um, and maybe a little bit less of a high fair market value.
0: Tracy, can you explain your, your rationale in putting the most expensive items at the top of the bell curve?
2: I just, I think that it um, it definitely helps keep everyone excited, engaged, and moving through the evening. And um, we also see a lot of organizations they put in the middle of that bell curve. They also put their um, their special appeal or their funded need or their paddle raise. Um, it just again, depends on the organization, depends on where you are in the country. Everyone does things a little bit differently, um, but we see a lot of organizations doing that. They build the excitement. And then they're able to share kind of a special mission moment where they're talking about their organization, the great cause that they're supporting, and then you kind of wrap out the rest of the evening with some other great packages um, and then continue on with the fun for the evening.
0: Great. Great answer. Uh, I think another point that we like to make with, uh, that I like to make, I know, with my clients is if, if you have a particularly large item in your live auction, the example I'll use is suppose it's an African safari. Uh, you've got that big, big package for the night. If you leave that right to the end of that bell curve, the problem is you may have three or four bidders waiting to bid on that item. And if you leave it right to the end, only one person is going to be successful in buying that item. And now you've got two, three, four people that maybe were prepared to spend fifteen or $20,000 uh, with your organization, but they're unable to because now they uh, you know the safari's been sold and there's nothing left in the live auction. Um, I guess at uh, to that point, that's where it's really nice to use the consignment travel packages because, you know, we as auctioneers can sell multiples of those. And in that case, you know, all two, three, four people could could purchase the trip. But th- that is another reason why you put those high items up at the top of that bell curve. You, you deal with the African safari right at the top of the bell curve and and then they've still got a few items remaining in the auction to spend their money on. so um, Let's talk uh, about uh, silent auctions now, and we also want to uh, circle back around and talk about the paddle raise or the fund need but we'll start with the silent auctions. Um, the, the electronic bidding versus paper, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, obviously, at Greater Giving, we have a fantastic solution to help you um, digitize your silent auction called online bidding, and you can also use it to just host a complete sole online auction, so only online, not in person at all. And um, for us, it's been fantastic for our clients to implement over the last few years and really see the amount that they're raising on those silent auction packages is just skyrocketing. Um, So what's great is that guests you can open up your bidding on your silent auction packages multiple days in advance of your event even starting. Um, so say your event's on Saturday. You open up online bidding for your silent auction on Thursday. Your guests will get a text message that has the link in it says, Bidding's now open. Click this link to bid. And it opens um, in a web browser. You don't have to have a special app installed or anything like that. And they can start looking at browsing and bidding on silent auction packages right there. They can also set a max bid which is fantastic so I'm going to say I there's a great package for a dinner date and I'm really interested in it well I'm going to bid up to a hundred dollars and the great system will automatically if I am out bid additional bids on my behalf up to a hundred dollars it's great your donors can just set it and just like the um the TV infomercial, you can set it and forget it. Um, set it, forget it, then walk away. You can set your max bid on items and then just let the system continue to bid for you um, throughout the, the days leading up to the auction and on event night. It's great because your guests then get to enjoy themselves during cocktail hour, have a drink, um, chat with their friends that are there, and they don't have to be worrying about, you know, circling like a hawk around the paper bid sheets of the items that they're most interested in buying in the silent auction.
0: Tracy, what I really love about Greater Giving is that your platform virtually eliminates long lineups at the end of the night for checkout and maybe you can just kind of talk about the whole
2: reason we started yeah
0: exactly and describe describe how that works now people can they can actually use their their uh their smartphone whatever device they're on their ipad or smartphone and they can make payment right there from the comfort of their their seat is that right
2: well so with um auction pay our solution that you use on event night um you will pre-swipe guest Credit cards as they arrive. So they walk in the door, they're greeted, um, you have a team of volunteers there ready to welcome them, check them in, pre-swipe their credit cards. The cards are then securely stored on our servers, which are PCI level one compliant. And then um, at the end of the evening, whatever purchases are made, um, just get um, processed as batch transactions um, within the system. So it's quick and easy for guests because they just walk in, pre-swipe their credit card. Um, If they make purchases on event night, they don't even necessarily have to go to checkout. They could just walk out the door and you can still charge them for whatever was they purchased on Event Night. Um, You can also email receipts, which is fantastic, straight from within the system so guests can um, see what it is that they purchased and what their transaction amount was for. Um, And really all that people need to do is if they purchased an item in a silent auction, they won an item, they come to item pickup, they grab the item, and then that's it. They get to walk out the door and you still get um, all of the money that you uh, raised on Event Night.
0: That is so cool. That is the number one complaint that we hear from guests attending events is that it doesn't matter how perfect the entire evening has been, how much fun they've had, you can blow it all at that end of the evening if there's a long lineup and people have to stand there for half an hour, you know, 45 minutes to pay and and get checked out. So, Tracy, let's talk uh, now about the uh, fund a need or, or paddle raise or fund a cause or fund a cure. Where do you think that should be placed in the evening? What's your opinion? Because the opinions are across the map on this question.
2: Right, that's exactly what I was going to say is everyone and every organization does it slightly differently and again just like with the placement of your live auction, when that falls in your evening, um, it just depends on you, your organization, your donors and so you definitely want to make sure that it's at a point in your event where you have the most people in the room and the most attention focused on your MC and your benefit auction specialist. Um so that way you're able to raise the most money, which is exactly what you're there to do. Um, so I th- Personally, I see a lot of organizations here kind of in the Portland metro area um, doing it at the top of the bell curve of their live auction packages. So if you had 10 live auction packages, we'd see usually the special appeal fund and need paddle race happen after live auction package number five. Um, But that's just what I see a lot here in Portland. Um, For me as a guest going to events, it hits me at a time where I'm kind of like the most enthused about the cause the most excited about the work that they're doing. And so for me, it's definitely a time when I am the most, Kind of ready to raise my paddle and make a donation. What about you, Danny? What do you recommend to your clients?
0: You know, it. Uh, my recommendation on the paddle raise is to do it at the most emotional point in the evening. And I exactly. had it. I had it happen at one event, completely unexpected. We knew we were going to be doing a paddle raise or a fund to need. Uh, we had planned to do it midway through the evening, but we had a very very powerful uh, speaker get up just before grace, if you can believe it. People had even had their dinner yet and this young boy got up who's he had lost his mother to suicide a year earlier and they were raising money for a child grief program and this little guy got up to the podium and gave such a an impassioned presentation and then he started he, he said you know I wish every child who loses a parent to suicide could go through this child grieving program but they can't because it costs a thousand dollars to put a child through the program uh, for a year and then he started to cry he said I wish every kid could get what I had but but they can't. He started to cry and he couldn't talk anymore. He walked from the podium. Well, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. I stepped up to the podium. I said, I'll be the first to pledge a $1,000 to look after one of these kids going through the program. And I said, would anybody join me? I said, you've got your your bid cards in front of you. Just hold them up if you'll you'll sponsor a child. And we had 57 cards go up before Grace and made, so with my donation, $58,000. So I've had that happen uh, where you do it unexpected. But um, it's always wherever the most emotional point in the evening is and if that is coming off a video and it's halfway through the auction that they want to do it that's fine but I th- I think overall my preference would be to leave the uh, cash appeal or fund-a-need until after the live auction. But you see all, right. all kinds. Well again so-
2: it just depends. All depends on you and your organization.
0: Yeah. Tracy, what I really love about Greater Giving is that you folks are 120% focused on solving virtually every problem that you can identify that is associated with fundraising events and you folks are coming up with some uh, amazing solutions is uh, without, you know, being specific about numbers, uh, what about the cost for organizations that want to work with Greater Giving? Uh, Is there a certain size of event where you can be just too small? Or um, at at what point can an organization talk to you?
2: I mean, at any point, definitely, it's worth taking a look at our products and services. So we do offer them kind of as individual products. um, And then you can also bundle them together as a suite of services. Um, So our auction pay service, which I talked about previously, which is that pre-swiping of credit cards on event night, you can get that as a standalone and just have that particular piece for your event. Of course, if you purchase the whole suite of services, you're getting online payments, which is building and creating and and selling tickets online in advance of your event, um, building a great um, event website where your guests can get all of the information that they need. Um, And then our Greater Giving Online, which is our cloud-based software that helps you basically plan and manage all of the different pieces of your event have your volunteers tracking the items that they're collecting during procurement process, bundle those items into packages. Um, Really, like you mentioned, Danny, we um, have been doing this for so long that we uh, do see and have observed kind of the front-to-back planning process of a fundraising event and have solutions that will help you um, every step of the way.
0: Excellent. Now, is your platform available uh, across North America? Does it include Mexico and Canada and Canada? And places beyond, or is it strictly for the U.S.?
2: Currently, just, um, just in the U.S., um, but we're hoping that that will be um, changing very soon. So keep your eyes open.
0: All right. Well, we'll look forward to some good news down the road. Well, Tracy Lawrence, it's been a pleasure chatting with you here. Uh, Thanks for joining us on Events with Benefits, and uh, we're very, very happy to direct business your way. I know that you folks are doing great work out there, and where can people contact you if they uh, are, are you able to offer an initial complimentary consultation? I would imagine so, and if so, where can people reach out to you?
2: Yes, definitely. Uh, Take a look at our website, so just greatergiving.com and you can request more information at any time. You just Fill out a few fields. Let us know a little bit about you, your organization, your event that you're looking to have some help with. Um, and then you'll be contacted by your area marketing manager, and they will talk you um, talk to you about your event and talk to you about all of our solutions and how um, we could help you streamline, um, raise more stress less is kind of our little tagline that we like to say um, all along the way during your event. Um, you can also email sales at greatergiving.com, or you can give us a call at 1-800- 276 5992.
0: Our special guest today, Tracy Lortz, the Senior Marketing Events Manager with Greater Giving. Tracy, thanks for joining us from Portland, Oregon this morning.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time.